They've really responded to that. They really appreciated it. And um, at the at the service for the service, I, I took a risk, and um, I've been speaking <clears throat> a lot about heaven and using this book, referring to this book, reading out of this book about heaven because it's impacted me so much. And uh, I'm like, oh, what better subject to talk about than, than heaven at, at a funeral? Uh, number one, it comforts. Another, number two, the story, the testimonies that are in this book, there's nothing that I've run across that is so inviting into the love of Jesus as this book is. And I, I bet, I, I know of like, like five books people bought after they were at the funeral, like calling me, where'd you get that book? Where was that book? How can I get that book? The audio version, this version. So that was really a blessing to have that response. And they just received it well because it was so appropriate. And um, so I'm going to continue. I had intended to continue today. And I'm going to... Um, and I had gotten to the point in the things that I was highlighting in the book that I wanted to hit and address. And um, this has to do with, with rewards. And I began this, I believe, last week. Um, <clears throat> judgments and rewards. And we talked about the judgments. And, and if looking at that, and I, I just appreciate this man, John Burke, for laying this out the way he did. And there's a real sense of... Um, of um, assurance and expectancy about about the judgments there's the great white throne that and and you get through that one if your lambs your name's written in the lamb's book of life so you want it there you know it's like you really want it there you want your your name to show up in the book and there were testimonies in this book that referred to people that weren't ready to come like their name wasn't there yet and there would be an angels like you're not ready, which was a good way to say you don't have acts. Your name's not. They have a book. They have books. There's books. Books in heaven. Real books in heaven. Many books in heaven. Your life story is written in the books of heaven. Your destiny is written in the books of heaven. So Psalms 139 says that. So it's not just hokey pokey stuff. Like it's testimonies of things that show up in our Bibles. And... And then, so there's that great white throne judgment that all of that is coming at the end of earth and end, end of what we know. So that is in the future. And then the judgment seat of Christ or the Bema seat of Christ. And, and the picture that we need to have about that is uh, any athletic sport that has judges at it that watch the contestants and they, they judge them on their performance, on what they've done and how they've accomplished. Did they, did they do this right? Did they do that right? What was their form? What was their whatever? We see that in the Olympics. And it's a big deal. And you want good numbers. You want, want that. And you're rewarded then, the gold medalist and the silver medalist and the bronze medalist are determined by who had the highest scores. The only difference between that and, and the judgment seat of Christ is that there's no limit to the gold medals that can be handed out. That, that's the best way that you can understand the Lord rewarding you. You are not in competition with people. You're only in competition with yourself. You're only 
you're only held accountable to for what you knew and how how well you ran the race and how you ran the race and what marks that you hit, things that mattered. Did you do the things that mattered? And as I began this, I began a story, and I related that story at the funeral, the story of George Ritchie, who w- once he came back to life, went on to begin, a, he was a medical doctor, became a medical doctor, and he also uh, founded the Peace Corps, which I don't know a lot about it. I don't know what the organization is now, but he founded that. It was a very important organization in its time and its day and what its intention was. And so there was fruit after these people encountered Jesus and hearing him ask the question, what have you done with your life that you can show me? Because so much in our lives that we fuss about and worry about and are anxious about and are depressed about don't matter there. The uh, art professor who had forsaken his family and all other relationships and everything else that was important in heaven to become successful, got this great reward. And as he's going through his life review, he stops Jesus and the angels. That's gutsy, you know. It's like, hey, 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 you just missed the most important thing in my life. We just passed that by. What about that, uh, that great award that I, that I accomplished, that I received? And they, they looked at him as like, that doesn't matter up here. What matters is how you treated your students. Now, that's a rude awakening at a very crucial moment in this man's life. He came back changed, I'm going to assume. He did come back to life. He gave this testimony of, of this encounter. So we're looking at rewards, and it's something that I've, I've not done well about preaching about, talking about, and I, I've resisted the subject, actually. In my, I had a lot of issues be, being a Christian and young believer, and where I came from and my mindset, that there were things like the whole walk of faith, I resisted it. It seemed carnal to me, like I had a bad taste in my mouth about it, and I was opinionated. Imagine that. And so there were things that I, 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 didn't, I didn't believe in, I didn't go after. And Phyllis and I had no end of conflicts over this. She was raised more around the faith teachers and faith people and was ready to go, and then she marries me, spirit-filled guitar player that resisted all kinds of spiritual things. So that's the That's why I always kind of laugh when she goes, I got my spirit-filled guitar player. Yeah, yeah. Filled with, yeah, a couple other things too, himself. And so the spirit through my life has been working on these things that need adjusted. What faith is, how that it's that my father in heaven wants me to ask of him. I, I had a bad concept about it. He wants to reward me because, and if I can't understand him from the Bible, then I can understand me as a grandfather, as a father, as a grandfather, what my attitude is about giving gifts to my daughter, giving gifts to my grandchildren. I'm very, like I would be very disheartened if they didn't receive my gifts, right? It's Christmas, you give something to them and they give it back like, I don't really deserve this or I don't feel right about taking something from you. 
Trust me, my grandson will not respond that way. And how much more your Father in heaven wants you to live a life where you're just full of, you just got too much stuff. You got more blessings around you than you can handle. And all you can go is, I know, my dad, he's ridiculous. Yeah? He takes care of me. I screw up and he still blesses me. Like I, I get lost and I get dis. Distracted and I get off track and, and he finds me, he rescues me, he always rescues me, and then he blesses me. It's un- inconceivable. Actually, it's ridiculous. What's the song we sing? Reckless love? It is reckless. In our human reasoning, It's reckless and it's ridiculous. We wouldn't love the people he loves, right? We're nice to nice people, but we struggle with being nice to not nice people, right? We're forgiving to people like, oh, sorry, you know, that say they're sorry, but we're not very forgiving to people that step on our foot and go, hey, get out of my way, right? So he's different, and the more like him we become, the better. What gets rewarded? And I, it's kind of like, I don't know, it just impacted me. A few weeks ago, a month ago, when I read this and I got to this section of the book, I'm like, oh, wow, I just need refocus, relook. What does matter? What matters to him? Am I, I, I wanted to recheck and review what I'm doing and why I'm doing it because I realized, like, I just got an upgrade, like, oh, boy. Is, is what I'm doing, does it matter to the Lord? What I'm striving over, does it matter to him? If it doesn't matter to him, then what am I doing? Like, I don't want to waste my time on things that don't matter. I'm, uh, yeah, I'm my age. <laughs> like, get it right now, dummy, you know, that thing. This is a good time. So let's look at some scriptures. James chapter 1, verses, verse 12. Some of these things have have been showing up in my comfort text. And every time I I come to a a scripture passage, I get more insight about it. Something else, some other thought comes. One of the big things in our life that you've got to embrace early, as early as you can, is that perseverance matters. And we find this in, in verse 12. Of James 1, if your faith remains strong even while surrounded by life's difficulties, and boy, life can, life can dish out some difficulties, huh? You will continue to experience the untold blessings of God. True happiness comes as you pass the test with faith. That's, that's that thing where you keep going when, even when it's hard to keep going that you believe the last thing the Lord told you, though you may not have heard for a while and you don't feel like you've heard or felt him for a while, that's when it's really a test. When there's more darkness around you than light, when there's more discouragement around you than encouragement, when mistake after mistake and odd thing after odd thing and weird thing after weird thing and 
bad thing after bad thing happens, it's hard to stay focused. Like, I'm doing what's right, and this is happening. Isn't that the worst time? Like, you feel like you got your ducks in a row, and you're doing the things right, and then something comes, and you go, you're like, you feel blindsided. Like, where did that come from? Where, where, where's my protection? Where are my angels? Hey, hey, you guys on vacation, like, was you guys sleeping or what? How did that happen? I've had that happen a lot of times. Like, you're going along, and something comes, and you go, I'm surprised. That's when it's really hard to stay true. True happiness comes as you pass the test with faith and receive the victorious crown of life promised to every lover of God. Does anybody have plans on turning down that crown if it's handed out to you? Put it that way, it's stupid, isn't it? Why would you? And you go, oh, it's heaven, what's it matter? I think it's going to matter. That's what I think. Because I think the more that you receive in heaven, it's the more that you'll have to give in heaven because it's not like on earth. And it's like anything else, when you are going to a wedding or some special event, come on, girls, is it not really, really important what you have if you have something to wear? First thing you say, I don't have anything to wear. What about that closet? No, 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 no. There's nothing in there I can wear. I got to get something to wear. Guys are just as vain. When you go into, you, you need to dress the part. Isn't it awkward to go somewhere where everybody's dressed up and you miss the memo? That's a bad feeling. That still bothers me to this day. I'm like, oh God, like it was fine what I wore to church Sunday, but now that here, it's like, oh boy. You know, or your wife, the last, the last, uh, yeah, the last wedding I did, we got done and Phyllis is like, get rid of that suit. That's it. It's done. It's old. It's out of style. You're, you're cooked, you know. So I did. Wasn't expecting a funeral to come up that quick. Like, I went, I said, yes, we're, you know, it's a day or two into preparing. And I went, <gasps> I don't have a suit. Because <laughs> I did what Phyllis told me, get rid of the suit. <laughs> I knew the only way to get a new suit is to remove this from my rack. Like, move it on, move it out, you know. I did that. And then I'm like, I'm like, oh, the hardest thing in the world for me is to have to go shopping and especially for a suit like oh I'm like I, honestly I felt anxiety and then Phyllis said I'll go with you and then my anxiety lit light really really went up you know like wow and that's me because I'm weird about that but the Lord blessed us we had a wonderful day first store bang 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 we were out of there great price like wow I'm like Jesus is real that's all I can say you know it was like that big of a deal Prepare your heart, adjust yourself. It's great to receive rewards from the Lord because trust me, he won't give you anything you don't really, haven't really deserved or is not appropriate. And it'll be appropriate to him, not to you. And so we need to develop that because it keeps you going. What keeps you going to work every day? Is it just that you want to bless that company and you just love serving and it doesn't matter if they pay you or not? Usually not. And you may say, I love my job, but every two weeks, you need to see the paycheck, right? And it's, it's appropriate because it's cost you something and you're giving something. And so you receive a recompense for what you're giving. And so heaven's no different. And it's okay. That's not carnal when it's according to the word. And the 
gifts and the rewards are going to be according to what he has to give us, the promise of the crown of life. Seeking God matters. That longing to see him, that longing. And, and when you study and read these stories of these people in heaven that encounter the Lord, some of them have not given much thought at all to who the Lord is or serving him or have no clue about what it means to serve him. And they get an education real quick and come back changed. Almost all of them. Not all, but many, many, many of them did. All of a sudden, that became a reality. So if you're already conscious of doing things and serving the Lord and putting him first, worshiping, like there are people that have these experiences they've never really worshiped. They are, they've not done that. So we're way ahead of the game. Like, yeah, we're doing good. We, we worship. We are the remnant. Thank you so much for that word, Tom. The remnant sometimes, worshiping, it's like you become overwhelmed with that aspect. Like, push that aside and realize you're never the remnant when you're joining that that's going on right now all the time. When you're joining heavens and you're joining, and I often do that. I, I get, once I get that focus, I'm not just here worshiping whether I'm alone or whether I'm with the, I, I'm, I'm joining something that's bigger than me. I love that. I, I join something that is presently going on. I guarantee it's always going on. And from this wee little planet, from this wee little place, in Columbiana County, my worship gets up there. It ascends. I have faith for that. I have faith that my worship, I join that. And there's sometimes when we experience angels joining us. That's happened. That's happened here. I've had many people tell me they sense that. They hear other voices. They hear other sounds. There are recordings, not from here, but there are recordings of places where there are sounds that none of the instruments are making. The sound system isn't making. Like They really go, where, what is this sound that's in the midst of our worship? For 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 8. 2 Timothy 4, 8. Second Timothy chapter 4, verse 8. And it says, there's a crown of righteousness waiting in heaven for me. Paul is saying this. I'll go back to verse um, 6. It makes a little more sense. And now the time is fast approaching for my release from this life, and I am ready to be offered as a sacrifice. I have fought an excellent fight. I have finished my full course, and I've kept my heart full of faith. Now, I just want to pause for a moment. That's an amazing thing to arrive at and you think if you're in the ministry it's all cool like you just have to feel good about yourself all the time not like the biggest battle is fighting the condemnation of how much you failed and how much you haven't that's the big that's the big battle and so just doing it or just having the title that's that's like almost worse condemnation 
And you had to fight that thing off all the time and trust that the Lord's the one that will judge you. And you just have to, and I told you, Phyllis and I had this discussion the other day going out Christmas shopping. It's like, and we were just going, you know, like pull up for we, you know, emotionally crash. Like, it's like, we're like, wow, I don't, is anything, are we going to get rewarded for any of this? Like, you know, because we're just, we're just aware of how many things have gone wrong and what we've fallen short at or what we perceive we've fallen short at. And, and that gets going and there's always a demon or two on your shoulder giving you perspective about this wonderful thing. And, and it's like, oh my gosh, I just like I said, we better stop. <laughs> we better, let's stop. You have to believe, and that's what these promises are about. And Paul comes to the end of his life, and he, and he says in another place, I don't even judge myself, doesn't he? I think it's in verse chapter 4 of 1 Corinthians, maybe. It's like, I don't even judge myself. And this is what he's talking about. I do what I do. I do it with all of my heart. I do the best that I can do, and I leave the judgment up to God. I'll leave it up to the council at the Olympic Games at the that judgment seat, that Bema seat, I'll leave it to that. We'll find out then. Meanwhile, I'm going for it. I'm giving it my all. And he had this confidence when he gets to this place, which is a great, that's the great accomplishment, that he still feels good about it all. He was rejected. He was beaten. He was stoned. He was all, things went bad. You know, we judge those things like, I'm not doing very good. I got rejected. No, that's not how you measure that. Or people aren't appreciating what I said, or they're not connecting with what I said. Maybe you're off. Maybe you're not. Don't know. He knows. So he has this confidence. It's great. In this context, you go, that's cool. My, he, he can say, my heart is full of faith. That's a great stand. Let's go there. Okay, let's, let's prepare for the game and get our heart full of faith. What Olympian, once they qualify, doesn't give their all? They put their whole life on hold, right? Everything is for every, everything. They don't do what? They don't hardly do anything else. They give themselves to preparing for the games. I'm in training and everything else is on standby. I, I've got to hit this mark. I got one chance. I've got one chance to go and give it all. So I've got to I watch uh, radically what I, what I eat, how I sleep, how I take care of my body, how I exercise, how I train. It, it all goes into why? A, a, go, a moment, one race, one event that's off in the distance somewhere, sometimes four years, five years, eight years. I mean, they prepare for years, sometimes for their entire life at that time of their life to get to that moment. Well, heaven's a much more worthy moment than that. And this point of coming before the Lord is a much more important moment. There's a crown of righteousness waiting in heaven for me. And so he saw this and knew this. And this is what kept him going through the stonings, through the persecutions, through, this, through the stuff. And I know that my Lord will reward me on his, on his day of righteous judgment, and his crown is not only waiting for me, but for all those who love and long for his unveiling. And so to live a life 
of waiting for that moment where you see the unveiling of Jesus when he finally is not someone we, we worship and he's not in the room, but he's, he's finally there in the big room on the world stage when he's unveiled, when he's finally, like, we're like, see, I told you, that's our moment. See, I told you he was real. See, I told you he was coming. Look at that. Okay, enough. Longing for him, seeking God matters. And then this next point is probably all the further I'll get today, which is fine. The bullet point in the book was developing people matters. And it's an understatement, but it's a, it's a good statement because it catches our attention. And we realize that in heaven, and we're going to look at some scriptures, what really matters is what you invest in people and caring about people, going after people, putting value on that and affecting them, helping them reach their destiny, teaching them and training them in something that's their purpose, and most importantly of all, leading them to a place and being an influencer in their lives where they believe in Jesus and they embrace who he is. That's huge. That gets big rewards in heaven. So let's look at a few um, uh, passages. No, I'll tell you what. Before, I will start with, let's read a story. That's the best. Then we'll, then we'll look at the scriptures that show it. Um, this is a story... And uh, I'll start out, his story, his name is um, Ian, Ian, I-A-N, McCormick. He was from uh, New Zealand, and um, the beginning of his story is earlier in the book. And um, he was a wild child. Um, At 20 years old, he had set out from his native New Zealand to find the perfect wave, the perfect high, the perfect girl, the surfer's life, while traveling throughout Australia, Africa, Indonesia, two years of doing whatever he pleased. But death never sends a meeting request, and one night, while scuba diving with friends on the reefs off Mauritius, I'm not saying that right, an island in the Indian Ocean, a school of box jellyfish stung Ian four times. One sting is deadly. In the ambulance on the way to the hospital, Ian's life began to vividly replay before his eyes. People say just before they die, their life flashes before them. Don't you hear that a lot? There's an actual experience of that. Life, that'd be trauma enough, you know? <laughs> <laughs> Wouldn't it? Like my life flashing before that. If, yeah, if the accident didn't kill me, that probably would. Like, like oh. His story. My thoughts were racing. I'm too young to die. Why did I go diving? I lay there wondering what would happen if I, were, if I died. Is there anything after I die? Where would I go if I died? Then I saw a clear vision of my mother. It was as though she was speaking our 
speaking out those words she had spoken so long ago. Ian, no matter how far from God you are, no matter what you've done wrong, if you cry out to God from your heart, he will hear you and he will forgive you. Never has anyone spoken such profound words. In my heart, I was thinking, do I believe there's a God? Am I going to pray? I'd almost, uh, I'd almost become a devout atheist. I didn't believe anybody, yet I was confronted by this vision of my mother. Ian found out later that his mother had been aroused awake from a dream showing her that Ian was dying at that very same moment. And there in New Zealand, she prayed for her son with all her heart. Ian recalls, I don't know what to, to pray or whom to pray to. Which God should I pray to? Buddha? Kali? Shiva? There are thousands of them. Yet I didn't see Buddha or Krishna or some other God or man standing there. I saw my mother. And my mother followed Jesus Christ. I wondered what I should pray. The Lord's Prayer. His mom had taught him, came to mind, but then he couldn't remember it. As his elevated legs pressed the poison deeper into his brain, I, Ian, thank you, babe. Ian desperately <clears throat> pleaded with God to help him remember. Forgive us our sins came up in his mind. God, I ask you to forgive my sins, but I've done so many things wrong. Ian said, I don't know how you can, but please forgive me of my sins. The next line came up, forgive those who have sinned against you. Ian thought, well, I don't hold grudges. Then came the question, will you forgive the Indian that pushed you out of the car and the Chinese men who wouldn't take you to the hospital? I thought, you must be joking. But Ian says, that no more lines would come, he realized that if God could forgive him, he must also forgive others. Line by line, he prayed for God's will to be done in his life. Then he slipped away. At first, Ian found himself fully alive, but in utter darkness, and terrified, it terrified him. We will explore this often overlooked part of his story in coming chapters. Ian describes what happened next. I was weeping by now. I cried out to God, Where, why am I here? I've asked you for forgiveness. Why am I here? I've turned my heart to you. Why am I here? Then a bright light <clears throat> shone upon me and literally drew me out of the darkness. I could see that the source of the light was emanating from the very end of the tunnel. It looked unspeakably bright and as if it were the center of the universe, the source of all light and power, it was more brilliant than the sun, more radiant than any diamond, brighter than a laser beam, yet you could look right into it. As I was being translated through the air, I could see successive waves of thicker intensity, light break off, Intense, thicker intensity light break off the source and start traveling up the tunnel towards me. The first wave of light gave off an amazing warmth and comfort. It was as though the light wasn't just material in nature, but was a living light. 
that transmitted an emotion. The light passed into me and filled me with a sense of love and acceptance. Halfway down, another wave of light passed into me. This light gave off total and complete peace. I tried everything I could to think of to find peace and, and contentment in my life, and I'd never found it. Now, from the top of my head to the base of my feet, I found myself totally at peace. In the darkness, I hadn't been able to see my hands in front of my face, but now I looked to my right. To my amazement, there was my arm and hand, and I could see straight through them. I was transparent like a spirit, only my body was full of the same light that was shining on, on me from the end of the tunnel. I came out of the end of the tunnel and seemed to be standing upright before the source of all the light and power. My whole vision was taken up with this incredible light. It looked like a white fire or a mountain of cut diamonds sparkling with the most indescribable brilliance. As I stood there, questions began racing through my heart. Is this just a force, as the Buddhists say, or karma, or yin, or yang? Is this just some innate power of energy source, or could there actually be someone standing in there? I was still questioning it all. As I thought through these, these, as I thought these thoughts, a vo voice spoke to me from the center of the light. It was the same voice that I had heard earlier. In the evening, guiding his prayer, the voice said, Ian, do you wish to return? I replied, if I am out of my body, I don't know where I am. I wish to, I wish to return. The response from this person was, if you wish to return, Ian, you must see in a new light. The moment I heard these words, see in a new light, something clicked. I remembered being given a Christmas card which said, Jesus is the light of the world and God is light and there is no darkness in him. So this was God. He is light. He knew my name and he knew the secret thoughts of my heart and mind. I thought, if this is God, then he must also be able to see everything I've done in my life. I felt totally exposed and transparent before God. You can wear masks before people, but you can't wear a mask before God. I felt ashamed and undone. My first thought was that this thing was going to cast me back into the pit. But to my amazement, a wave of pure, unconditional love flowed over me. It was the last thing I expected. Instead of, <clears throat> instead of judgment, I was being washed with pure love. Pure, unadulterated, clean, uninhibited, undeserved love. It began to fill me up from the inside out. I proceeded to tell him about the disgusting things I'd done under the cover of darkness, but it was as though he'd already forgiven me. And the intensity of his love only increased. In fact, later God showed me that when I'd asked for forgiveness in the ambulance, it was then that he forgave me and washed my spirit clean from evil. I found myself beginning to weep uncontrollably as the love became stronger and stronger. 
It was so clean and pure. No strings attached. This love was healing my heart, and I began to understand that there is incredible hope for humankind in this love. I was so close, I wondered if I could just step into the light and, that surrounded God and see him face to face. As I stepped into the light, it was as if I'd come inside veils of suspended shimmering lights, like suspended stars or diamonds giving off the most amazing radiance. And as I walked through the light, it continued to heal the deepest part of me. Standing in the center of the light stood a man with dazzling white robes reaching down to his ankles. I could see his bare feet. The garments were not man-made fabric, but were like garments of light. As I lifted my eyes up, I could see the chest of a man with his arms outstretched as if to welcome me. I looked towards his face. It was so bright. It seemed to be about 10 times brighter than the light I'd already seen. It made the sun look yellow and pale in comparison. It was so bright that I couldn't make out the features of his face. I knew that I was standing in the presence of Almighty God. And no one but God could look like this. So the story is picked up later in the book. And it has to do with our effect on other people's lives. Directly behind Jesus was a circular shaped opening like the tunnel I had just traveled down. Gazing out through it, I could see a whole new world opening up before me. I felt like I was standing on the edge of paradise. Through the center of the meadows, I could see a crystal clear stream winding its way across the landscape with trees on either, either bank. To my right were mountains in the distance and the sky above me blue and clear. Jesus asked me this question. Ian, now that you have been, now that you have seen, do you wish to return? I thought, Return? Of course not. Why would I want to go back? Why would I want to return to misery and hatred? No, I have nothing to return for. I have no wife or kids, no one who really loves me. You are the first person who has ever truly loved me. But he didn't move, so I looked back one last time to say, Goodbye, cruel world. I'm out of here. As I did, in a clear vision right in front of the tunnel, stood my mother. As I saw her, I realized my mistake. There was one person who loved me, my dear mom. I had mocked her beliefs, but she had been right after all. There was a God and a heaven and a hell.
I began to consider how selfish it would be to go through to paradise and leave my mother believing that I had gone to hell. So I said, God, there's only one person really I want to go back for, and that is my mom. Then as I looked back again, I saw behind her my father, my brother and sister, my friends, and a multitude of other people. God was showing me that there were many other people also who also didn't know and would never know unless I was able to share with them. I responded, I don't love these people. But he replied, I love them. And I desire all of them to come to know me. Then the Lord said, If you return, you must see things in a new light. John chapter 4, verses 35 and 36. Four, thirty-five, and 36. As the crowds emerged from the village, Jesus said to his disciples, why would you say the harvest is another four months away? Look at all the people coming. Now is harvest time. For their hearts are like vast fields of ripened grain, ready for a spiritual harvest. And everyone who reaps these souls for eternal life will receive a reward. And those who plant spiritual seeds and those who reap the harvest will celebrate together with great joy. And also First Thessalonians chapter 2, 19, and I'll close with this. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 19. For what will be our confident hope, our exhilarating joy, or our wonderful trophy that we will boast in before our Lord Jesus at his appearing? It is you. It is you. It's who Paul was writing this. It's who you've labored for, who you've brought along. Here's this man named Ian. You look at this and we always think in a very kind of boxed out way about how we're going to influence people or affect people or win people to the Lord. The picture here is that all this man had to do 
Let's go back and tell his story. And they would be changed. They would hear. That's all he had to do. He didn't have to save them. He only had to come back and show to be a living testimony that he was as lost as lost could be on purpose. <coughs> that he had had an encounter that totally changed his life. And that he just, just tell the story. That if he would just tell his story, not only would his mom be blessed, but his family, and then all these other people that you know, I don't know the end of the story, but you can imagine the end of the story. You cannot have that experience and not come back and be a totally changed person. And all he had to be was a light in the darkness and testify to what he experienced. And even as I did this funeral, it was probably the, the best direction I could take in a funeral. It, it enticed people. I saw all across this group, Christians, non-Christians, all of them alike, they were drawn to something and that sometimes is what what's missing when we're trying to minister to people like we need to we need to show the picture of who Jesus is like if you lift me up I'll draw people to myself don't lift yourself up you're not supposed to I don't want to anyways but if you can become transparent and lift him up he will draw people to him. If they get a glimpse, a touch of that unconditional love, and if you've received it, you have it to share. It should be now in your DNA. Just share what's, what's you've experienced. Share the hope. If you don't have a story, pray for one. Pray for, it's just a matter of the revelation of who you are, what you are, and getting the rest of the picture, and, and you do have a story. And looking at people, and many people in this book, when they would, they would feel this from the Lord, when they would encounter Jesus, this unconditional love, but if they would look at another person, they would begin to feel his love for them. That's, that's what he wants for us, to begin to look at people till we can feel their love for them. And some people, you're going to have to, you're going to have to get in the spirit to do that. Bill Johnson would tell a story, and I'll close with this. In the ministry, you can be just as judgmental as anybody not in the ministry. And especially with your other people that are in the ministry, and you see a picture of someone in a magazine, and you don't like how they handle themselves or they do this too much or that too much. And he, he would tell like he was going after this with all of his heart and he would sit and he would see a picture of a man in, in, a, in a Christian magazine that he would have normally went, ah, like, he's obnoxious, he's whatever. You know how we have these feelings. And he would stop there and he would just wait with his consciousness before God and wait till he felt God's love for them. <laughs> That's great exercise. That's an amazing exercise. Just 
look at people. People, you'd be like, you have a twinge. Like, we, we have this. It's there. Maybe rightfully so. There are people that will give you a twinge that's not good. And stop and realize the same love Jesus has for you, he has for that person. Even if they don't know any better, even if they've never done anything good, and even if they've never repented, apologized, or anything else. And to stop. This is the beginning of freedom. This is what opens up your heart to the Spirit, is getting sensitive to this and walking this out. The more you do now, the more you do now, the more you'll access now, and the better heaven will be. And the, we want to go there with, with these things, with having hit the mark. It's the greatest thing when you show up and, and, and you get that, well done, you did good. You got through this trial, you did this situation, you obeyed me. And I, I was thinking this week, this very week, you know, I, I heard something, <laughs> just heard people, you know, how we struggle over, over our feelings about stuff. And, and I was just overhearing something, and I, I went, oh, my gosh. We get so hung up on how we felt about something, especially if it's negative. And we, we forget, you don't get judged on your feelings. You get judged on your actions. But did you still do what you were supposed to do? Did you still love, act in love? Did you still forgive? Did you still do the thing that mattered? Or did your feelings cause you to sin, cause you to be carnal and have some friends around you that said, oh, I don't blame you, right? There's always a friend that'll be like, oh, I wouldn't either. I wouldn't talk to them either. I wouldn't do this or that either. I wouldn't forgive them either. That's not the kind of affirmations you want. You want them from heaven. How does heaven want you to look at these things and handle these things? So let's pray. Father, we just want to be impacted by your spirit to see things before it's too late, see things while we can change things. And we want to fulfill your scriptures, things and words and, and, uh, and directives that were like, oh, I don't know how I can do that. Lord, help us close the gap for that and just approach them with hearts of understanding and knowing that you want to do these things through us. We may not care, but you do. And we love you. And so we want to love who you love. We want to forgive who you forgive. We want to reach out to who you want to reach out to and touch who you want to touch. And we ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen, amen. in uh, Colorado um, a couple months ago uh, at this um, Communion for Colorado event, and, and we came back and we, and we talked about it. Um, but it was interesting, when we were out there, there was the word that was released, and, and it was truly just one word, um, so it was Lou Engel, and it was early on in the, in the session, and he came out and he said the, um, and again, the, the place was, was one-third to maybe a half full, and he said the in Lou's voice, right, the, the remnant is here. The remnant is here. And, um, and I don't know what it was. It's, it's neat how the, the Lord can, can give you a word, and you may not truly understand it, but you know it's for, for you. And, um, and I really think as a representative of this house, it's, it's for this, this place.
that, that we are to be the remnant. And so <clears throat> I came back, I was, I was, then I got on the plane and came back and was, you know, thinking back through the event and, and everything that took place and thinking about that word specifically. And I think at that time the anointing had, had worn off and I was thinking the word leftovers kept coming in my head and I thought, God, there's got to be more to it than leftovers, right? Um, so I came back and, and anyway, wanted to really search that out. And um, where I was led was back to the Sermon on the Mount. And so <clears throat> what he's calling us to be, so I want to bring this back to the, the vision um, about being salt and light. And so what, what he gave to me is that he has, so, so not leftovers, but yet he's, throughout history, he's set aside a people, he's protected a people, he's set aside a people for his purpose and for the vision that he wants to, he wants to unfurl and roll out. And so, so he, he directed me to, to Matthew 5, the Sermon on the Mount, salt and light, because that is truly what we're to walk in is to be the salt, the flavor, the preservative of the earth, to keep it from rotting. The light, the light of the world, to shine, to be strategically positioned. You'd strategically position a light, a lamp is, is positioned. There's thought in where it sets. So I just want to release that. I want to release that as part of our vision and who, what we're being called into. So Father, we thank you. You are our God and we are your people. As we receive communion today, just give us, give us insight. Give us this vision of what we are and who we are as a body, that we're not always the, we're not always the majority, but yet we're set aside by you we're set aside to be salt and to be light. Father, give us this vision. Set it in stone. Let us receive this of you. Thank you. Amen.